0: All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Renewal Church. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Jared Kirk. I'm the pastor here. Glad that you are here. We're talking about joy today. I have three little kids, and so if you want to see an expression of pure, unbridled joy, you look at my children and you tell them, you are spending the night at grandma's house. There is squealing There's uncontrollable hopping. They just start bouncing. They just start bouncing around. They start stuffing things into backpacks. They're packing to go, they're ready for the trip. And the reason it brings them so much joy is that um, everything is cooked from scratch, everything. The biscuits and gravy, the pancakes, the desserts are free flowing. Grandma never says really no, ever, (laughs) ever. (laughs) And the other reason that there's so much joy there Actually, this weekend uh, we took our kids to spend the night at their uh, we were at their grandma's house, and um, we we got there a day a day early, and we were just going to stop in and say hi. And the kids said, "Well, we want to spend the night tonight." And we said, "Well, you didn't pack for it." And they said, "Actually, when you weren't looking, we packed our bags." <laughs> and so they spent the night at grandma's house for two nights. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of joy. But the other reason it brings a lot of joy is because it's also a very safe and secure place. And when you feel safe, when you feel secure. There's a lot of joy that's possible in a space like that. And I think that's part of the reason why we feel so much joy in the Advent season, the, the, that season that leads up to Christmas. There's a lot of joy there because when you're with family, when you're with friends, when you're at home, everything feels safe again. It feels secure. And that lets joy grow in your soul. And in fact, so, you know, some of the way that we know this is that when that's not in place in your life, all of a sudden, your your joy just kind of dries up and goes away. When, when home is a hard place, when home's not a safe place or a secure place anymore, all of a sudden, joy becomes really, really difficult in that. But when we think about the first Christmas, not our Christmas today, but that first one 2,000 years ago with Mary and Joseph and the angels, and you know, you've know you seen the nativity set, and it's like the, the shepherds were there and there's the baby. It was a time of great joy for them, too. But it wasn't just joy because everything was going well or it was going easy. In fact, it wasn't, right? There, there was no room at the inn. The bir- there were no birthing suites. They were fresh out of doulas. I mean, it was, it was kind of a disaster in terms of, you know, humans planning this baby coming into the world, but it was also a time of great joy because God was doing something for His people. He was doing something for His hurting kids. Let me read you a, a, a quick verse from that first Christmas. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 2. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, that proves that there is a joy that can overtake the difficult circumstances in your life. And I feel like that is exactly what we need right now, because things are not going well out there, but we still need peace and joy in here, and this may be the hardest Christmas for you in your life. It may be the hardest Christmas for you in a long time. You may be alone this Christmas. You may be full of anxiety or depression because of everything that happened in 2020. This could be one of those seasons where you just feel isolated. And joy seems to elude you because every day is Groundhog Day and every day is the same and it's a grind. And some of those old sinful habits and patterns and ways of dealing with stress that you feel like you'd beaten or come roaring back into your life and it just makes joy difficult. But in that first Christmas, even though all the circumstances out there were broken, They could find joy in here because God was doing something for them and God was doing something in them. And I really believe that. When you know that you belong to God and God belongs to you and that lasts forever, that is the basis for joy in any circumstance. It just is. And that's why we're looking at Psalm 16 today. Psalm 16 is going to connect security, safety, and joy together in a really profound way. Now, at Renewal Church, we exist to see Jesus made famous, people made whole, and Boston made new. And this is one of the ways that we see Jesus made famous in our city. When we learn to live with joy in the middle of chaos, and people see that joy and they see that peace in our lives, and they say, where does that come from? We get to say, it comes from Jesus. It comes from God. And the world gets to see that there's a different way to live and that God can change what's happening in you even when everybody else is freaking out. So let's look at Psalm chapter 16 together, and then I'm going to point a few things out. I'm going to read the whole Psalm to you. Here's what it says. It says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely, I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart will be glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, that, that's Psalm 16, and you can see the way that it connects joy and security. It was written by King David And King David was a guy who often lived without security in his life and without safety. There were seasons of his life where he wasn't king yet and he was running away from the the king of Israel at the time, Saul, uh, who was trying to kill him. He was trying to murder him. So David was running around. He was hiding in caves and rocks and he had a band of kind of a band of rebels with him and they were running through the countryside. He was always worried. There were times when he had to live in in exile in foreign countries. There were times when... uh, family members were plotting to kill him, or people were plotting to overthrow him. So there was a, a constant lack of security in his life. And it's out of that that he writes this psalm, and we see that it, st- with it it starts with God promising safety and security, and that the natural end result of that is joy, because the very first verse says, keep me safe, my God, and the end, and the last verse says, you will fill me with joy. And of course, that does make sense on an emotional level, too, because... You can't feel, um, you're not going to feel joy if you lack safety and security. If you're full of anxiety and worry, joy is always going to escape you. Uh, Joy and worry are are incompatible emotions because worry is negative meditation. But joy comes when there's a, a foundation of security in your life. So that is why this psalm teaches us three reasons that I can have joy in troubled times. And here we go. Three reasons I can have joy in troubled times. Number one, I am yours. The first sentence of the psalm is keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. And the natural question is, yeah, but how do you know? How do you know that God is going to keep you safe? How do you know that God's going to be your refuge? How do you know that, he's gonna, that he is going to protect me? And David, David's answer is, I know because I am yours. In verse 2 he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. In other words, David makes a declaration. He says, God, you are God of my life. I am no longer in the business of running my life. That's your job now. I'm no longer in the business of ruling me. You are now the ruler of me. You I say to my Lord, you are my Lord. I am yours. And that's how David knows that God is going to keep him safe and secure. Then in verse 3 He says, he talks about the holy people in whom is all my delight. So not only am I yours, but he also says, hey, God, your people are my people. Your family are my family. That's how I know that I am yours. I sacrifice for them. I love them. I care for the needy among them. I know that I'm yours because your family is my family. Because your people are my people. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why church attendance gives you such great assurance of salvation in your life. It's not the thing that saves you at all. That's Jesus' job, and thank God Jesus has taken care of that. But this is a family reunion every week of Jesus' family. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's just as dysfunctional as my family reunion, but I get to get back together with the people of Jesus, and there's an encouragement there. There's a chance to pray for hurting people. There's a chance to build up broken people because, let's face it, this is Renewal Church, so we don't have our crap together right? One, the, the thing that binds us all together in a church is coming to God and saying, God, I'm messed up enough that I need your help in my life. And so it's a church full of broken people, and we come back together, and we say, this is family. We're going we're gonna to stick in this together because family is what we got. And so that's one of the ways that we know I am yours. And then in verse four, David says this. He says this about other gods. I will not take up their names on my lips, In other words, David's going to be very careful to have an exclusive, permanent relationship with God. He's honoring the first commandment of the Big Ten. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm not even going to speak their names. You're not just going to be my God when it's convenient. You're not just going to be my God until it doesn't seem to work anymore. You are my God. I won't even speak the name. Of other gods. So I can rest safe and secure because I am yours. I declare it. Your family is my family and I'm not seeking out any other help, any other rescue, any other God. I am yours. So that's the first reason we can have joy in troubled times. I am yours. Here's the second reason. You are mine. One of the primary things that we, we usually look for in secure that we get our security from is from our money. And from our possessions and that that makes sense because if you um if you have some savings in the savings account which that would be a nice feeling right but when you have it there you think okay well if something goes wrong i'll be okay because i've got a little bit of money in the bank we feel safe and secure because if we have a home an apartment to live in or a condo or whatever then we feel safe inside of it. It keeps us safe from whatever's happening in the city out there, and so we, we look to our possessions, our things, or our money for safety and security. But David says something a little bit different. He says that true security comes from knowing you're in a relationship with God. In verse four, he says, you alone are my portion and my cup. Portion, when, uh, when, when the Jews would talk about a portion, it doesn't mean food. Because when they went into the promised land, they went into Canaan, they, they, they kind of came out of Egypt, they went through the wilderness, they come into the promised land, and God has them divide it all up into portions of land. And then each family gets their, their allotment, their portion. And so when they say portion, when, when David says portion, he's talking about basically all of your wealth and your inheritance, like all of your possessions that belong to you. But he says of God, you are my portion. Now, think about this. This is interesting. It's, it's, it's a little bit like nuanced. He's using po- poetic language here because David was a king, so he was the wealthiest person in the whole nation. He, you know, if you're thinking about like, stacking the stuff up that you can see, the material possessions, he had the biggest portion. But for him, this is a declaration that, that he will only put his ultimate hope and trust for safety and security in God. He says, you are the ultimate thing. You are the ultimate place that my security comes from, is from God. In other words, he's saying, when I have God, I have everything I need. And for David, he says, you know, not only is today God taking care of my safety and security, but my tomorrow, too. He says, you will be mine tomorrow. Um, He says, you make my lot secure to God. And now this, now we're not talking about a lot of land. He's talking about the little stones that the priest would throw so that the priest could discern what God's will was. So when you're using figurative language in a poem, like this Psalm, a lot comes to mean my destiny, my future. Like what does God have for me in the future? He says, my lot's in your hand, my future's in your hand. So not only am I safe and secure today, but my tomorrow is safe and secure tomorrow as well. And that can bring me great joy. You know, if worry is negative meditation, You know, there's an aspect of worry that's also imagining the future over and over and over again, but when you're imagining the future, you're imagining that God's not faithful there. Like, he's not going to take care of me. He's not going to provide what I need. He's not going to keep me safe in the future. But David here is imagining the future, and he's saying, it's all in your hands, God. It's the, the whole thing. It's all in your hands. And so I am safe and secure, and that's where his joy comes from. That's where his joy comes from. So... Three reasons we can have joy in troubled times. I am yours, you are mine, forever. Look at how David ends the psalm. He looks forward to the eternal security that's only possible when you have God in your life. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Isn't that the way it works? When your mind is at peace, your body can be at peace as well. He says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Now this is, I, I love this. What is David talking about here? Right? He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to decay. So, so what could he possibly mean when he says, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And nobody really knew what he was talking about. It was kind of a mystery for a thousand years. Right up until the moment when Jesus died on a cross, and then on the third day, before he could decay, he rose from the dead. And when uh, the very first followers of Jesus shared the very first sermon of all time, like the first one in the history of the church, it was the Apostle Peter, he references back to this psalm, and he and says, this is what explains Jesus. Here's what he says. Let me read to you part of that sermon, the first sermon ever. Acts 2, Peter says this Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Jesus is the faithful one that David was talking about. Jesus died on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead, never seeing decay. He defeated death. The grave has no hold on him. Death could not keep him because the power of God raised him from the dead. And here's the promise of scriptures, is that when you have a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, when you can say, I am yours and you are mine forever through Jesus, then God will raise you up on the last day as well. That death will not be able to hold you, the grave will not be able to keep you because the power of Jesus will be at work in your life. And when that kind of security takes root in your life, you can have joy. When you know God has determined the day I am born and the day I will die, and he holds me securely in his hands every moment, every millisecond of my life until that day when he calls me home to heaven, you can have joy. Because what in this world? There's no power in this world greater than the power of God. There, there, there's no death that can, that can diminish His sovereign will over my life. There's no disease. There's, there's no power in heaven. There's no plan formed against you by other people that could diminish His power and the, the, the way He securely holds you in His hands. And out of that comes real joy. Not the kind of joy where... You just say, you know, it's Christmas, so it's going to feel good to change things up in 2020. You know, the kind of joy that can't be taken from you, no matter what this life throws at you. And that's what our church needs, and that's what our world needs to see in 2020. Now, when we think about leaving here today, we think about how do I live with joy, not just Not just like every moment of my life, day by day, not just once a week on these family reunions when I gather together with the people of God, but moment by moment, how do I live with joy? And I want to make some suggestions to you, and they come from this same psalm, from verse 8. David kind of points us in the direction we need to go, and here's what he says. In verse 8, David says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And this is, an, this is an excellent translation of a Hebrew phrase, which literally says, I set the Lord in front of me, right? Like right where your eyes can see it. I just set him in front of me, in front of my eyes. And so David's saying, you know, this idea of security from God that leads to joy in my life, you lay hold of it as you set him in front of you day by day. And so the question for us is, how do I keep Jesus in front of me? How do I keep his power and his safety and security that he holds me with right in front of me every day? You know, every Sunday I have to come to church. And um, I'm a little bit of a forgetful person, which was a little bit of an understatement. And so what I do is when I need to remember to bring things to church, I, if they're too small to fit in my backpack, maybe you do the same thing, I take it and I put it right in front of the door. Does anybody else do this? So you're like, yep, Meg, Meg does it. And so, you know, you just, you put it right there so that when you're walking out, you're going to, you're going to have to see it. You're literally going to trip over it if you don't, if you don't grab it. You have to set it right there in front of you. And I I think that this is just, there's a powerful scriptural truth about here, about setting Jesus in front of you, keeping him in front of you day by day. And so here are some things that, um, here are some things that I thought of for our church, ways that I think we could set Jesus in front of us. Here's one. Set a weekly reminder on your phone on Saturday afternoon to go to church in the morning. You make your decision. You plan ahead of time that I'm going to gather together with God's people. And one of the things I do as a pastor is I, I make it my aim to set Jesus in front of you every week. That it's not just moral principles. It's not just, you know, here's the, here's the rules to live by. I, I, I don't want to go. <laughs> to that kind of church, right? Nor do I want to pastor that kind of church. My job is to take Jesus and set him in front of you. And when you become awed by his beauty and his majesty, his power, his security, his safety, oh man, that's what brings joy into your life. And so you just make a decision and say, on Saturday, I'm gonna set the alarm on my phone so that I can gather together in that family reunion with God's people week after week because discipleship starts with attendance. It, discipleship starts with showing up. So set a weekly reminder on your phone on Saturday afternoon to go to church in the morning. Here's another one that's been really powerful for just me personally. I wanted to share this with you. Maybe you can set Jesus in front of you by um, going on a prayer walk every day for lunch this week. So get out of your apartment, <laughs> get out of your home, get on your condo, get out of your condo and say, when it's lunchtime, I'm going to get outside, I'm going to go on a walk and just pray. I'm going to pour out my heart to God, my worries, my concerns, my anxieties, my joys, my excitements, my hopes, my whole life, and I'm just going to place it there in front of God and I'm going to talk to God as I walk around the neighborhood so that every day this week, I'm going to set him in front of me. And maybe that's a commitment you want to make for yourself this week. Here's another idea to keep Jesus in front of you. My wife's really good about this one, so I'm just kind of sharing. Like, this is what what helps us in the Kirk home. Maybe maybe something else would be helpful for you, but I don't know. Put on worship music whenever you make dinner. Now I don't know how often you make dinner. Some of you are like, I don't know how to make dinner. Like, that, I mean, I mean, I microwave things for about three minutes. That's like a really short Mercy Me song or something. Like, but maybe and so maybe not when you order out. But maybe just you say anytime I make dinner. And I'm boiling my ramen noodles. (laughs) I'm going to put worship music on just to remind me and fill me with Jesus. To get it in front of me every day. There's something really powerful when you're depressed and you're anxious and your mind is in turmoil about putting worship music on. um, That tends to help with that. So I... I don't know, maybe these are helpful for you, maybe you have your own routines and rhythms that help keep Jesus in front of you every day, but I think that scriptural principle that, that King David teaches us, that I set him in front of me, and when he's at my right hand, I can't be shaken. What would it look like to get him in front of you every day? And shoot, I, I wouldn't be worth my salt as a pastor if I didn't say this. Maybe it means reading his word every day. Like, if I don't say that, I think that actually the elders have to fire me as a pastor, right? Right? When I go into my room and, I, and I, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready for the day, I open up my closet doors and inside my closet door, it's just covered in Post-it notes. They're fluorescent pink with Sharpie marker. They're not notes to myself, although they probably should be considering how forgetful I am. They're, they're notes from my wife. They're just notes about what she loves about me. Um, so I think she had to work really hard to come up with a list. Right, but, you know, and then she, wrote, she writes them and she stuck them all to my door and I just, I've left them there for like a year. So when I open them, I re, I'm, I'm just reminded that I am, I am hers and she is mine until death does us part. And, you know, God, God loves you so much. He wants you to know that he loves you. You know, that's the famous, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves you. And he wanted to make sure you knew. So instead of post-it notes, he wrote a book, 66 letters, and he put it all together so that you would know that there's a God in heaven who loves you, who cares so much for you that he was willing to die on a cross so that your sin could be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so you could have freedom and hope. And that's, not that, and that's because God wanted his kids back. God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And so maybe it means saying, this week, come hell or high water, I am going to spend time in his word. Every day. All right, so do whatever it takes to keep Jesus in front of you every day. Church, I hope that you live with joy. I know it's been a tough year for some of you. I know it's been a tough day for some of you. I know that some of you are watching online today because you were so depressed you felt like you couldn't get out of bed. But there's a God in heaven who loves you and holds you safe and secure until the day that you die. So you can live with joy. A deep abiding joy, no matter what Satan or this world throws at you.